I don't think I need that right now. Hopefully not. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me today to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to kind of hover around a little bit, and then we're going to kind of plow into uh, the sixth chapter. And uh, then we're going to get over to the book of Matthew also. So that means I do need that thing that fell right there. Because I'm not quick at finding things. I so admire the younger groups that don't carry real Bibles anymore when they're up here. Because this thing is full of stuff. Pastor Thomas and Kaylee are looking at me like, you old guy. We just look at our phones. We preach right off of here. We don't need all that stuff. 1 Corinthians, well, in chapters 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul is speaking directly to the church. Now, what's the church? That's those whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've received Christ, and you've gathered up corporately together like you are today to celebrate that. We are the church. And he's talking to us. We're believers. He's calling us not to those outside the fellowship of Christ. And he comes with some pretty severe words. And right in the middle of it, in verse 6, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor idol worshipers, nor idolaters, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Did you find yourself in that list anywhere? Anybody want to testify? <laughs> And now in verse 11, he says this. And that is what some of you were. Were meaning used to be. But you were washed. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were set apart. You were justified, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of the living God. And the church say, hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. I think that was, was that Jesse, or who was that? Man, that was awesome. I loved it. Not to pick you out, but I loved that, by the way. The accumulation factor. We are busy accumulating either evil and destructive, eternal damnation, or we are accumulating freedom and joy and peace and eternal life. We're caught up in the accumulation factor. We're doing one thing or we're doing the other. We're headed one way or we're headed the other. We are either headed for glory and a heavenly reward or we are heading to eternal damnation. There's two choices we're going to talk about today. And as we ponder where we are in our relationship with Jesus, please remember how much he loves you. Don't think of God as a judge. Think of him as the greatest lover of people of all time. And if he asks you to give up a sin in your life today, 
Let me remind you as to bring you healing and wholeness. If you walk away from a sin, it's not going to kill you. It'll kill you to live that sin out. If you want to get rid of the hurt and the pain and the anguish of life, walk in that sin. Allow it around there. Stay in it. Let it trouble you. Have one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. And that's a joke, by the way. But it makes you very unhappy. And he asks you to give up sin in your life to bring you healing and wholeness and freedom. But Jesus' message today is designed to let us know that Jesus is coming soon. Do you sense it? Can you see the stuff going on that's happening in this world? He's coming soon to take his church, his bride, those who have been redeemed, home with him for eternity in heaven. With all of the warning that we have been given, we must not be caught unaware. When the Lord returns in his power and in his glory, for we have not already made if we have not already made the choice for Christ, if our sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus, if we have not been about our Father's business, it will be too late when He comes back. Luke 12, verse 40, And the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. Matthew 24. That's where the bookmark came in handy that I almost let go by. Verse 40, 36 through 42, we'll start right there. No one knows that day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, and up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And you know, I didn't really know it, but that was a long time. He worked on that ark a long time. We're talking, what, like, who's the scholars around here? 100 years? 120? You'd think people might have got the idea, you know, that maybe this guy's sticking with this thing. Maybe there's something to this. Wow. So right up to the day Noah walked into the ark, all the animals... All his family boarding the love ship. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus reiterates this prophecy. It's imminent. That means it's going to happen. It will happen. We don't know exactly when. I don't know all the reasons why we can't know. I got some ideas and some supposition about that. But it will happen. When it happens, it will happen in an instant. It will be an incredible moment. Those who serve Christ will go home. Those who have not served Christ will be left to face judgment. 
In Luke 12, Jesus lays that responsibility out for each of us. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling in these days that there's an awareness of all of our public safety. Folks, uh, there's some things going on that really point. You can just about track it right down in Scripture. I'm going to skip some stuff right there. But there was a, um, we are told here, right here, to live expectantly for Jesus' return. And even if he comes in the middle of the night, we're supposed to be ready. We're supposed to be looking. We're supposed to be aware. In verses 42 through 48, Jesus gives us responsibility. He gives us accountability. Sometimes we forget we have to one day give a full account of every single deed we've ever done. Every word, no matter how secret, to God who records everything. Accountability is something special. We should know all about it, really, shouldn't we? We take tests in school, right, kids? Take some tests in school. You ever feel accountable? Do you ever get a little worried when you're headed for class? And you know you got a test today, and man, I hope I studied hard enough for that test because that teacher's going to want to know what I know. We get into trouble if we get home a little late, kids. We get a ticket if we drive too fast, park in the wrong spot. But there's this thing that can happen to us, and I'm going to call it spiritual slumber. And we experience it when we don't pay good attention. So what makes us quit expecting God to show up? We had an incredible Sunday school class today. Um, the whole time we were in it, I thought about things I would be saying in here today. And uh, sometimes life doesn't go the way we expect it to. In fact, quite a lot that occurs. And we can kind of get to where we sort of experience spiritual slumber. We're used to things happening in our lives, happening to other people around us. We see things going on, but it seems like it's taken the Lord a while to get around to showing up. And when he doesn't just show up when we want him to, when he doesn't jump out of the lamp because we rub it and say, come on out of there, Jesus, I got a couple things I want you to take care of. And now you can get back in the lamp. Doesn't sound like a very spiritual person, does it? Then why do so many of us pray like that? So what makes us quit expecting God to show up and to lose our enthusiasm for him and his kingdom? Well, let's, let's talk about that. You know, the Bible talks about self-indulgence as being part of the problem. Jesus said to really pick up your cross and follow him, you got to deny yourself right? But we like to keep our options open, don't we? I kind of like mine open. Um, It kind of comes natural. We can easily begin to try to keep up with society's standards, kind of keeping that option open, and we lose our focus on God's standards. And we can begin to make unused white make unwise use of our time. 
We spend too much time in the gray areas, maybe flirting with sin, but not really committing our time to God. Oh, I would love to teach that Sunday school class. Or I would love to witness to that lost soul that lives next to me. But my time is so valuable to me. Might say stuff like that. It's harsh to hear about us, but so often it's very true. First John says, in him there's no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live by the truth. So remember, each one of us in this room today, each one of us, has a date with the deity. Every one of us. What does that mean? It means every single one of us, one day, whether we take our last earthly breath and have our last earthly heartbeat here before Christ returns, we will be held accountable for everything. All of it. There may be a day, Maybe you live long enough to see the eastern sky split, to hear the trumpet sound, and here comes Jesus through the clouds over the eastern sky, and he's come in all of his, you're not going to look like, he's not going to look like the, the babe in the manger, by the way. He's probably not going to look like the Savior on the cross. Not going to look like the gentle healer we have come to hear of him spoken of so much, and there's a lot of truth to it. He's going to come in judgment. He's going to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that day, it'll be too late to get on board. Too late. Each one of us has a date with the deity, and no one escapes it. It's a fact. We either will live in this fleshly body till Jesus returns, or we will lose this life and face the judgment beforehand. Revelation 20. We are told of books being opened and read. In the first instant in chapter 20, verse 12, the books are in reference to the catalog of our deeds. Everything, every word, every thought, every sin will be brought forth as evidence either for or against us. Right, George? In the second instant, the book of life will be opened and if our name is written there, we will enter into eternal life. We'll get to see Beth Morrissey. <laughs> we'll get to see those who've gone on before us that we love so much. And we have a gap in our lives because they are gone right now. But we know where they are. Amen? We'll find a, a pathway with Jesus and eternal life in heaven. And it's not written there. If it's not written there, our name is not written there, then... At some point, we didn't claim Jesus. We had a chance, maybe several chances. We passed it up. We didn't claim him. We didn't live for him. His blood shed on the cross does not cover our sins. If our name is not there, we have never truly admitted our sinful condition. Amen? and ask for God's forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. Revelation 20, verse 15, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire or into hell. We don't talk about this stuff a whole lot anymore, do we? 
Not too much. Because it's not really fun to talk about. You know what's more fun to talk about? If you think positively, and it's something that you want, and you pray for it, and you get the want to for it, you just go grab it, and you can have it. That's a lot more fun to preach that way. But it's not the truth. You know, I believe there will be various types of people in hell. There will be the out-and-out sinner who shakes his puny-fisted God and says, forget you, God, I'll do it my way. I'll rape and I'll murder and I'll do all the ugly stuff and I'll do whatever I want to in spite of what I know you want me to do. And that's the kind of in-your-face way to do it. But then there's the self-righteous person who may or may not be sitting right in a church pew today or maybe doesn't even come to church much, but figures to make it to heaven, passing the judgment on the merits of my own good deeds and my own goodness. Remember, it doesn't matter to Satan if you're a drug addict and a skid row bum or if you go to hell right out of the church pew. doesn't matter to him at all. As long as he gets you, he doesn't care how it happens. Amen? Getting kind of quiet in here. But folks, if you haven't come to Jesus and you haven't asked him into your heart and into your life, you are lost. Can I tell you? L-O-S-T, lost. Hear me well. When eternity comes knocking, we are either lost or we're saved. There's nothing here in the middle. There's no ground out here in the middle. There's no gray. Not according to God's word. According to some TV preachers, maybe. According to some of the stuff I read on Facebook from people I even went to school with. Probably if you listen to them. But as I read scripture, there's only two places to spend eternity. Two. And you're either going to be lost or you're going to be saved. I think we've given a pretty good idea what lost is about. What does it mean to be saved? Well, being saved means you, from the moment you were saved, you don't have to live with sin in your life any longer. When the Holy Spirit enters our life, He takes over. And we are now called to surrender on a daily basis, moment by moment, to the God above and the King who loves us and laid himself on a cross for us after leaving his home in heaven to come here and show me a better way. Praise God. You're either lost or saved. There are no other options. And without evidence of the blood of the Lamb, we cannot be saved. But in Luke 12, Jesus warns us, so we will not be caught unaware. We, will, we need to live expectantly. What does that mean? Well, if you're taking care of the house for the king, for the master, according to Luke 12, you're going to keep the place pretty well swept. You're going to keep the vacuum running pretty constantly. You're going to be cleaning some things up. You're going to be looking out the window all the time. And when your nose touches it, you're going to get a rag and you're going to clean it off. 
Because you want Jesus, when he shows up, don't know when he's coming home. He's the master. He'll decide. He'll let me know the very second he knocks on the door and says, I'm here. What have you done for me? How's my house look? What's the house? You. You. Me. You keep those lamps lit. You keep the clutter picked up. You keep that furniture polished, everything in place, so that when the master returns, we can willingly, without any reservation, see him coming up the sidewalk. You can get to the door, and you can willingly throw open the door of your heart and say, Master, I've been expecting you. Here is the kingdom of my heart. Welcome. Come on in. That's the way I want to see Jesus. That's the way I want to have him approach me. That's the way I want to have things in order. How's the order in your house looking today? Are you lined up? Are you straightened up? Are you expecting the king to come walking up the sidewalk and knock on the door at any moment? Now, the message today. It's not meant to shake your assurance of faith already received. Please, if you know Christ, don't let the preacher talk you out of it. I think I, I went to camp every summer as a teenager. And I think while I was at camp, I went to the altar twice a day, morning chapel, evening chapel. Got saved a hundred times over my teen years, I think. Because the preacher would get to preaching and I would just want to be sure. And I understand that. But I'm not here to talk you out of your salvation. I'm not here to tell anybody how to walk and to, and, to, and to respond to Jesus today. But if you don't know him, this is a message to help us to realize our own need of a Savior. To realize our need and to share our Savior. First of all, to realize my need of a Savior. If I ain't got him, I got nothing to offer. But secondly, to realize that my need, secondly, is to share my Savior with this world so that they might have an opportunity to go to heaven as well. So the question could be, are you ready for the return of Christ? That's pretty simple. There's nothing really too flowery about it. It's pretty straightforward. Are you ready? Can you ask that question? Are you ready for the return of Christ? See, I really believe that Jesus is coming soon. I believe he's coming to take his church home. I hope you believe that. I want you to bow your heads with me. First of all, Won't you, if you don't know my Jesus personally, consider coming today and asking him to forgive you of your sins as you confess them and allow him to redeem you, to save you. For one day, it will be too late. 
And I want you to know something. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and you're thinking about this and you're praying, and maybe there's somebody you know Christ, and so you're praying for him right now. We're going to get to you in a minute, but this altar's wide open. You know what? We used to use the altar all the time. We don't use it. So I have people ask me, what's that thing up front? What's that piece of furniture you guys have? I said, well, there was a day. A lot of things happened. And right now, I'm not going to be flowery about this. This hasn't been a flowery sermon. I don't preach enough anymore to get flowery. But one day it's going to be too late. You could walk out that door today and forget the whole thing, and you might not make it back next week. That's not just a scare tactic. That's reality in this day we live in. I want you to know this altar right here is available for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal, individual, ye knows you, you know him, Savior and Lord. And I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to make that choice and get out of your seat and walk down here if you want to do that. Don't mess around. Don't let Satan jerk you back into your seat. Don't wonder, worry about what somebody else is going to think if you make a move like that. But if God is talking to you and it's a serious thing, because when we talk about eternity, I'm not here to play with that. I'm going to give you a moment. Have you got what it takes to get out of your chair? We're not going to sing five verses of Just As I Am. Maybe you want to come forward today and nail this thing down. Father, I pray for that person that may be here today, that maybe all of a sudden realized how serious this game is. That, Father, you came and you laid your life on a cross, and it's more than a fairy tale. It's more than just some little thing we talk about in church so we can have church. But you laid yourself on a cross so that we might inherit eternal life if we would just receive you and believe in you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you believe that in your heart, you will be saved. Secondly, and the altar is still open for you, if you are a redeemed believer... And you got it all nailed down. It's going good for you. You're feeling pretty secure in what we've talked about today. And you've given your heart and mind to Christ. But I want you to think about this. You have an admonition. No, I'm going to call it a command. We have an admonition, those of us that know Jesus, to save as many as we can. Someone brought Jesus to you. Your mom, your dad, maybe a coach, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a spouse, a missionary, an evangelist. They knew Jesus, and they shared him with you. With me, it was a guy named Clarence. Never seen him before, never seen him again. He told me who Jesus was. The book of Esther reminds us we were placed into positions of opportunity for such a time as this. And this time we are in right now is a perfect time to be sharing Christ wherever we go. So will you be the one who answers that call? And will you stand when others fall? Will you take his light into a darkened world? And will you be the one?
Okay, I want you to look at me. And I want you to repeat phrase by phrase what I'm going to say to you. And if you don't do it, I'm going to make it happen until you do. Okay. I got the mic today. Repeat after me. Who will go if I won't go? Who will speak if I won't speak? Who will love if I won't love? In Jesus' name. Now I want you to turn to somebody. If the one you're sitting to is too close, look at somebody else. (laughs) Or move away. And I want you to repeat after me out loud. You got them? Too many of you are looking straight ahead. I need you to start looking at somebody. London, you better look at Grandma. She could use some spiritual guidance as well. Jesse, who you got? You got somebody? Who will go if you won't go? Who will speak if you won't speak? Who will love if you won't love? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Remember, we're commanded to fight the good fight and to contend for the faith. And this world cannot be salvaged. It just cannot. We spend so much time worrying about how we're going to save our world. Well, if you read Scripture and you read biblical prophecy, just, just read, read it out of the Bible. You don't have to listen to everybody's input. This world's not going to be salvaged. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. Don't ask me from there. I don't know. I'm just going with the words of Jesus. It's going to be different from here on out. I see it changing. It doesn't look salvageable. But we can save many souls through a goal to live for Christ. So who's on your list? Those of you who know Christ. Are you trying to just drift along? Or do you have a purpose in this thing? Do you know who you want to pray for? Do you know who you need to ask God to give you courage to speak to? Teenagers, who do you know at school? Who do you know? Probably lots of kids. And a lot of kids you probably don't even know if they know Christ or not. They need to find Christ and they need to find him through you. What are all the things that we're involved with around here? How many of you fill in at school or, or take your kids to school or get your groceries at the grocery store or whatever? Lately, I've found myself doing things I never really thought about doing. I actually went to a, a banquet for a lady here locally, our mayor, who's running for governor. I ate a bunch of, what do they call that stuff? Not prime rib, but... Yeah, it was really good. That's good for 50 bucks a plate. But you know, when Carrie got up and shared, she shared her faith as much as she shared anything else. I don't know everything about her life. I know one thing. I know if you knew me some years back, before I knew Christ and even some afterward, you'd say, you know, I'm surprised you even think you have a shot at walking in the door of heaven. Well, let me tell you, 
I know some things about some of you too. And I'm a little shocked too. So let's just get on even street. God is at work in our lives. We probably have blown it somewhere. And if you want to look at people's lives, you can always find something. But what has God done to change them since then? What's the finished product going to be? We may not know. I'm not even sure what he's going to end up being with me yet. This I know. We need to be about our Father's business, most of all. Let's pray. And if you honestly sense that God is speaking to you, and he's trying to draw you closer, I want you to get some things right this morning. I want you to listen to what God's word had to say to us. Not the, not the preacher's rusty way of putting it, not that it wasn't flowery and smooth. But let's talk to the one who did a very unsmooth thing, who was whipped and drug a cross up a hill. And they shoved a crown of thorns on his head. So the blood was running in his eyes. He couldn't probably even see where he was going. And he was planted on that cross and nailed to it. And he died there. And unless you think you're something special and you can get into heaven without the King of kings and the Lord of lords having done that for you, then we need to be on our face before him today and asking him to save us. If we are lost, we need to be saved. If we are saved, we need to be sharing him with everyone we can. Be the great adventure. Get out there and do some things in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus that you never dreamed you would ever be able to do, but now you're filled with the Spirit of God who wants to take you into this world and make a difference for not just the weak, not just for the country to be turned around, but for eternity. Jesus, how do we begin? I sent you at work in this room. I sense, oh God, that you are speaking of my heart and my spirit, and I guess, Lord, if I'm the only one, then I was the one that this sermon was for, and you've pretty well taken me to task all week about it. But, Father, if there would be another, and maybe another, and maybe another, maybe one that does not know you, has never taken that step of faith, and the preacher didn't say it well, and they're able to walk away from it, and escape that again and go back out and living a life of hurt, of sorrow, of pain, instead of coming to you and releasing that all to you, I pray, Father, that you would come to them and knock on the door gently as you do. You're not the God who blunders in and, and blows us away. You're the God who gently knocks until we open the door. It's been said, O oh God, there's only one doorknob on that door, not on Jesus' side, on our side. 
And we need to turn that doorknob, and we need to pull the door open, and we need to receive you in. We need to invite you in, and you need to be brought into my life. And once my life has been changed, oh, God, the church needs to come alive. If we don't come alive, we're going to die. We're going to be just a place where you go and have, have this little club time together. And nothing's really going to happen. It's not going to really be a big change. It's not going to really make a difference for eternity. But may we make a, drive a stake in the ground right now and say, Oh God, if you will help me, if you will empower me, if you will fill me, I will share you everywhere I go. We love you, Lord. I know we can't compare to your love for us. But we are gathered in this room today to be more than just a gathering place. We are gathered here because of eternity. So bless your people, we pray in your name. And all God's people said, amen.